Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Being Human is Weird. This week, we're continuing our conversation on financial wellness with John Downing. So glad you're here. Let's dig in. Moving on to protection and insurance, what do you have to say, Dad, John, about protection <laughs> and insurance? John. <laughs> Father John. <laughs> Father John. Uh, well, it's funny. Insurance was actually my major in, in college, and then I didn't go on to pursue that career, which is I find ironic. But anyway, you know, one of the lessons learned during my training in insurance is that insurance is really about protecting you from the unlikely risk that is catastrophic. So in other words, a lot of us look at insurance, uh, be it car insurance or health insurance, and we want that insurance to cover every risk that we might encounter. For example, on car insurance, we might choose a very low deductible because we if we have an accident we don't want to come up with a thousand dollars or or more in the to pay the deductible we only want to pay a hundred dollars when you do that you really increase the uh cost of of the insurance so the way insurance is supposed to work is you buy fire insurance on your home not because you want it to protect you from um, say, a, a small kitchen fire that burns the wall a little bit and would take $100 to repair, you want to protect you from that house burning down and not being able to repair it because you don't have the $100,000 it would take to rebuild that house. So that's the real purpose of insurance. And it's funny in this country, we hate the term socialism or socialist, Yet insurance is the number one <laughs> socialist uh, product in the country because socialism is about sharing the risk. And that's what insurance does. It shares the risk among society in, within the society for all those that have purchased the insurance. So insurance is invaluable. It just needs to be used in the proper way. What I hear from people my age, 30s, 20s, 30s, is my employer doesn't offer health insurance. What you're saying is we have insurance for those catastrophic times. Even if I do have health insurance that I'm paying out monthly, a large sum, it still feels like that catastrophic bill comes in with the insurance. So I'm paying twice. I'm paying high premiums mm -hmm. and then I'm still paying exorbitant bouts when I do need to actually see a doctor. So I know we were talking a little bit more about the life insurance and home insurance and stuff, but specifically on health insurance, where, where do you lie? What do you think? Well, I think health insurance in this country is atrocious, just to be blunt about it. Um, we pay in this country far more for medical care, primarily because we pay the insurance companies, a lot of money for things that don't cover the medical care. And that's that's part of the problem. But I also am one to tell you, I don't think you can do without coverage. When I was in my early 20s, a 
close friend of mine uh, that I'd gone to school with my whole life, and I worked for his father at the time. My friend was sleeping in an RV, and a car came off the highway and hit his RV and broke his back, and he was paralyzed from the chest down. And at the time, he was, well, he was in his 20s, so he, he wasn't covered by any insurance of his parents at that time. And so into the hospital he went, and his father, like any parent, was willing to do anything necessary to help keep him alive. And his father went through well over $100,000 in a, just a couple of weeks, uh, maybe a month. This is back in the 1970s, so it's quite a ways back, but it was still a lot of money. Had my friend had insurance of some sort, even a high deductible insurance, the father wouldn't have had to uh, come up with those large sums of money to pay off that that uh, medical bill. Fortunately for them, because my friend was also a, a veteran, uh, they were able to get him in the VA hospital system in Chicago, and they took care of all of his medical bills from that time forward. But that's a very unreliable methodology for making sure that you you uh, have uh, proper coverage if you have an accident. The reason I encourage young, healthy people to buy health insurance, even high deductible health insurance, is for that catastrophe, that unknown illness that could be very expensive to treat, that accident that you just cannot predict coming along and causing you to be in a situation where you're, you need a lot of medical care, very expensive medical care. Many people would argue, well, I could always go out and borrow the money if I need be. Medical debt is the number one reason for bankruptcy in this country. And that's because, again, people have not always had access to health insurance which would cover those catastrophic illnesses. Fortunately, at least in the last 15 or so years, I believe almost all insurance, health insurance policies now do not have an upper limit on covering your medical care. The downside with our current health insurance is that health insurance companies have a lot to say about whether they will pay for a particular procedure. I don't agree with that, and I think a lot of other people don't agree with that, but that still doesn't negate the fact that I think you have to have at least catastrophic health insurance coverage at the very least. I understand nobody wants to pay all those small bills on a regular basis to their doctor or to the hospital until they reach their $5,000, $10,000 deductible limit, but the philosophy of insurance is the slightest risk with the highest cost should be covered. And so therefore, the possibility of catastrophic medical care needs to be covered. That's your first priority. With all of that in mind, and Carrie, I know for some reason that Oklahoma is so much different than Michigan because my insurance being unemployed is virtually nothing right now. But once I get a job, I'll be paying probably $400 a month which is insane to me. So with that in mind, where do people like us start 
young, healthy people? Do I just Google health and cheap health insurance? Or how do I find out what the best option is for me so that I am covered in those? Well, I, again, you know, I'm, I'm not a strong advocate for Obamacare from the standpoint, I, I think there's better options than what Obamacare has given us. However, Obamacare is still a better option than the options we had before Obamacare. So it's a step in the right direction. And so I would definitely just encourage people to go to healthcare.gov and look at the available plans. I've certainly have helped some of my employees sign up for healthcare under Obamacare. And you know, one of the questions listeners might have is, wow, why don't you just go ahead and buy health insurance for your employees? I literally, I've checked into that multiple times. I'm not a large employer. Like I said, total employment, I have about 14 or 15 people on payroll. And some of those people, like myself, who are old enough to be covered by, say, Medicare, don't have a need for private health insurance. But when I checked with the with private health insurance, my cost for insurance premiums far exceeded with the cost that my employees could get under Obamacare. <laughs> and so it did not make a lot of financial sense for either me or the employee to go in that direction. So I had to drop it each and every time I looked at it as just not a viable methodology for a small business. And we had to have a minimum number of people sign up as a small business within the employees. So if enough employees opted out, that essentially means they opted out the rest of the employees. We had, as a business, we had to have a minimum number. Really? Yes. And one one more thing, when they do this, an, an employer plan is different than the Obamacare plan. Obamacare, they don't care what your health condition is. They have to sell you the premium at the established rate. For an employer plan, they ask the health of all my employees and their dependents. So do they have any ongoing health issues? Are they diabetic? Do they have heart issues? Have they ever had cancer? They ask all those questions. They consider those risk factors and that moves the premiums up. And every time I looked at, as as Carrie mentioned, every time I looked at this, even when I met the minimum, many of my employees had significant health issues that would drive the cost even higher. Okay. And so when they went to buy Obamacare, that wasn't a factor. When I went to try to get health insurance coverage as an employer, that was a factor. So health insurance, thumbs up. Life insurance? What about life insurance? I don't have life insurance. Should I? As a 30-year-old, I don't have a family. I'm not married. What are the factors for life insurance? Well, you you actually pointed out something very important. You're young. You're not married. Life insurance is really a financial protection policy. When you look at life insurance, you got to look at what am I trying to protect? If you are young and single and good health, then the life insurance coverage you may want or need is simply to resolve your afterlife expenses. 
uh, burial or cremation or whatever you would like to have done, uh, paying off those final few bills so nobody else has to get stuck with them. So you really don't need very much when you have those risk factors. They're very small risk factors. Very often employers, if you're not self-employed, typically have small life insurance plans for all of their employees, something very often around anywhere from ten dollars to $50,000. It's advantageous to the employer because they get a full deduction for the cost of paying for the premiums. And it's advantageous as a benefit for the employees because they get this small life insurance coverage without paying out any money. So but not every employer does that. But if your employer does do that, take advantage of that. As you your life changes, for example, uh, you're married and then you have a couple children. Now those end of life issues are directed towards how do I take care of my children? How do I take care of maybe that mortgage that I had? How does my spouse survive without my income? So it's a whole different picture that you're looking at and a whole different amount of money that you may need after you your life passes. In that case, a very good type of policy to look at would be term life policy. A term life policy, the meaning of term is that it's fixed period of time that that policy is in existence. You can buy a term of five years or 10 years or 20 years. You can identify a variety of periods of time that you would like covered. The advantage of that is that the premium pretty much stays the same over the term of the insurance and you can buy a much higher amount of insurance coverage under term insurance because it's the lowest cost method of buying insurance. The disadvantage is that once the end of the term comes, everything you've spent on that insurance protection is gone. There's nothing left. You've just spent it on pure life insurance. Now, another uh, type of insurance that is sold, a common type is called whole life insurance, which is a combination really of insurance and investment. Now, I'm not an advocate for using insurance as a retirement tool, but many insurance companies will try to sell you a whole life policy based on, on that philosophy. It can be used for that. So it's, you know, I'm just not an advocate for it. But the advantage of whole life insurance is that it can give you coverage all the way up to the age of 100. And it actually grows in value. So you're paying not just for life insurance, but you're paying for an investment. So you're investing money as you go forward. The disadvantage is that the higher policy limits become a lot more expensive. So now these numbers aren't accurate by any stretch of the imagination, but say a $100,000 term insurance might cost uh, a young person $5 a month, but a $100,000 whole life insurance might cost $100 a month. There's a substantial difference in the cost of coverage based on those two different types of policies. As you get older and say you've used term insurance as you as you were raising your family, you might uh, then begin to think about using 
term insurance or even whole life insurance for the end of your your lifetime as a way of making sure that you have some coverage to pay your end of life uh, expenses and maybe some some resources to draw from in your retirement as well. Really, your life cycle kind of has an impact on what type of insurance you would like to buy and need to buy. Is that something that you can just decide? Do you decide annually? Can I opt out of a plan that I'm currently in and just jump into another one? Or is it a once you're in, you're locked? You're certainly able to discontinue an insurance plan any insurance plan thing that you buy into. I wouldn't do it that way. I would typically, let's say right now, you want to have a minimum amount of coverage because you're single and, and you have no real financial risk out there to cover at the end of your life should you happen to pass away suddenly. So you might buy a term policy, maybe a, a 10-year or 20-year term policy with coverage of $25,000. And then things change in your life and you decide to get married and you have a couple children, you can add to that. You can buy another term policy. And let's say the next one you buy, you want to buy it for a million dollars. You continue on with the old term policy. There's no reason dropping it. You've got that coverage. And then you can buy the new term policy and go forward. And again, as you get older, your children grow, your house is paid for. You might continue, those term policies might still be in existence for a few more years, but you may at that point, even before they expire, choose to buy into a whole life insurance policy for the rest of your life. Now, one of the things I will say, typically, especially on whole life, they very often have physicals required. You have to be in good health when you buy the policy. And so... If for some reason you anticipate, say, from family history that you could have certain life-changing health events in the future, you might want to lock into an insurance policy earlier on that you know you would easily be able to qualify for health-wise now that you might not be able to qualify health-wise later on. John, you mentioned earlier opting the importance of opting into employer-provided health insurance, which reminded me I wanted to ask about the all the way back to the retirement and savings, 401k plans and IRAs. It's a little different for me now. I've always opted into the 401k plans with employers, but being unemployed, I'd like for you to speak on the 401ks, but also for those of us who are unemployed or don't have the employee or the employer option, what should we be doing with our money to save for retirement? Let's start with the 401ks. Those are relatively new investment vehicles, believe it or not. For a long time in this country, most large employers at least, uh, actually even medium size and some small size had full pension plans. And those pension plans were funded almost exclusively by the employer. And the employee simply had to put in their time with the employer and at retirement age could then start collecting those pension plans. 401k plans really shifted a lot of that burden to the employee to make a decision to contribute to their future retirement. 
when a 401k plan is set up, the employer actually has the option of matching some of the money that can go into that plan. So if an employee says, I want 10% of my gross pay to go into my 401k, and the employer might have a plan that says, well, for the first X amount of money, we will match that or uh, we will match a certain percentage. I always find it interesting that sometimes people will opt to participate in the 401k, but then not take advantage of the full matching of the employer. And I always think of that as like, if you got your paycheck every week, would you turn around and give your employer part of that back at, because you think you're getting overpaid? Because I wouldn't do that. I keep my whole paycheck. And so this is part of that paycheck. And when you're not taking advantage of that full match, you're basically giving the employer money back that is rightfully should be rightfully yours and so why would you do that so i i've never understood the theory of not at least putting in enough money to get the full matching resources from the employer typically it's not like you're having to give them 20 percent of your paycheck i think in the instances i've been involved in it was like three percent it right. was a small amount yeah, typically to get the full employer match, you're not getting anywhere close to the full amount that you could put into your 401k. That's absolutely true. Back in the day when, you know, I had uh, three children at home and a mortgage and all those other things and 401ks first came about. And uh, so my first opportunity to start contributing, I could not meet the full amount either. But what I did do to get there was over the next two, three years, whatever it was, we'd get our an, maybe an annual pay increase. I would take and say, okay, half of that pay increase or all of that pay increase, whatever it was out of that pay increase, I'm gonna increase my 401k so that that money, I'll never miss it. I was already mm -hmm. receiving a check for a certain amount. So if I have them withhold more out of my 401 for my 401k that's coming out of that pay increase, I'll never miss it. So over a course of two or three or four years, whatever it was, I got up to the maximum amount being contributed to my 401k and never felt the pain because that money was never, ever in my pocket. I never, ever was able to spend it to begin with. It is harder to reduce your take-home pay at the front. But if you think about increasing your 401k contributions as your pay goes up, that becomes very easy to do. I have a specific personal question that hopefully will help somebody. Up until recently, I was always investing in a Roth IRA personal and then also 401k that had an employer match. So once I max out a Roth IRA for the year, if I am not employed or I'm self-employed, what should I do with the remainder of the money if I want to be investing more than that? I would always say the more you can put aside and invest, uh, the better, regardless of whether you're matching or not, even regardless of whether there, I would be an advocate for people by investing their long-term future, even if there weren't retirement accounts, 
you know, I, I'm an advocate for at the earliest age possible, start putting money away, even in a non-retirement account. And an example of that is both my youngest granddaughters, uh, I've established uh, accounts for them and, and a, an amount of money is going into those accounts every month. They're very young right now, and those are not retirement accounts. Those are just long-term investments. And so when and if they just work for an employer that also gives them a 401k investment account, then I would say, yeah, keep going with that one too. You build up as many as you can, because uh, as long as you can afford to do it, again, the the longer you can do it at with a smaller amount, the better, you know, it's less painful. And so I would always be an advocate for putting as much away as you can afford to put away. Where would be the best place for me to do that, though? If I'm wanting to continue investing, we'll say 10%. As long as you have room in your 401k, that would be the first place I would go ahead and make the investment. I wouldn't necessarily go out and open a totally different account. One of the things is I'd like to tell people not to do is spread their money out between a lot of different accounts. Try to keep it as consolidated as possible. That 401k, if it's got good investment options for you, then use them, use them to the maximum. And then if you max out the amount you can put in your 401k and you've maxed out the amount you can put in your Roth IRA, then go ahead and open another investment account that's not a retirement account, just an ordinary investment account. You can invest in the same types of funds in a non-retirement account as the retirement account. So you can invest in an index fund, which is what I have my granddaughters in, just as you could do it in your 401k okay. or in your Roth. So yeah. Decisions can be made based on this information and what you have available for you right now. But dad, what is your number one step as we're wrapping it up here for someone just starting on their financial journey whether that is at age 18 or maybe they've reached their 40s and they, oops, forgot to save until now. What's step one? I think we go right back to that ugly old thing called a budget. Again, do not overcomplicate it. Your whole point with that budget is to be able to manage your resources. You can't manage your resources unless you know what those resources are. So you need to know how much you have available to spend, and you need to know how where you've been spending that, and then you need to prioritize how you really want to spend that, which means eliminate the things that are not really important and make sure all the things that are important, such as savings, investment, paying down debt, are included in that budget. Second, you want to save and invest something, no matter how small. And in a few minutes ago, Carrie and I were talking about my great-grandmother, her great-great-grandmother, who simply worked her lifetime as a domestic cook. So she didn't make much money. And back when she was doing that, there was really no such thing as a retirement plan, especially for someone in her situation. For most of her life, there wasn't even Social Security yet. It didn't come about until later on. 
But when she finally reached that age when she could no longer work and she started collecting Social Security, it was really even different than Social Security is today because back then Congress would set a dollar amount for Social Security and then they may not change that for several years and Congress would have to decide to change the amount allowable. So she could live on uh, and as I recall, back in the mid-19, late 1960s, she was receiving a Social Security check of $55 a month. She lived in an apartment near us that cost her $45 a month. You think about it, even though prices were lower, to live on $10 for the rest of the month was probably not doable. My great-grandmother had always taken a small amount of her paycheck year after year after year and put it into a bank savings account. It was that bank savings account with her Social Security that allowed her to survive until the end of her time. So I am an advocate of putting something away right now and every, every week for the rest of your life. Save, save, save until you need to have that money to live on. If you just can bite the bullet and start putting even a small amount of money in there, eventually you'd get excited about putting the money in there because you see it grow. And once you see it begin to grow, you realize that, wow, this is getting bigger and bigger. And then you might even get the incentive to increase the amount that you're putting in there. It really is kind of like planting a tree and watching it sprout and leaf out and year after year get bigger and bigger. And then you're proud of the fact that you planted that tree, you know, way back when. There's a tree in our backyard that is Carrie's tree. She brought it home from school. It was a seedling about two feet tall. It's now probably somewhere around 25 or 30 feet tall. So it works. It's mm -hmm. just a matter of, you know, starting. You got to start somewhere. Yeah, add a little bit of water. <laughs> yep, there you go. If you are with us and believing being human is weird, then like, subscribe, share, all of those things that the kids are doing. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at beinghumanisweird. That's where we're going to be sharing resources, inspiration, and news about our podcast. And we would love to hear from you. So slide right into our DMs with questions, comments, and what you'd like to hear more of. And thank you so much for listening, weirdos.